take your Bibles, if you would, and, and turn to Mark's Gospel. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then he, that is Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Epatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh God, as we, we come before you this morning and lift our prayers to you, we bind ourselves to you today, to your power to guide us, to your might to uphold us, to your wisdom to teach us, your eye to watch over us, your ear to hear us, your word to to speak to us today. Your way, O oh God, to lie before us. The host of God to defend us. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we've been looking at Mark for some time now. And one of the things that we spoke of about Mark at the beginning of our study was how it's a book that is moving along quickly. As a matter of fact, the word immediately is used over and over and over. It's sort of just to keep the action going. And we talked about how there wasn't as much teaching in the Gospel of Mark as much as there was demonstration of what Jesus did. And one of the things he did was, is he performed many miracles. And as we come to our text today, we come to another of Jesus' miracles. Now, you may be wondering, why another miracle? If Jesus can heal one who is lame, surely he can heal one who is blind. And if he can he heal one who is blind, then surely he can heal one who is deaf. Do we have to have a miracle for every body part of the human body to show that Jesus has the ability to do that? Now, I don't, I don't mean that sacrilegiously in any way, but we can sometimes wonder why all the different miracles. But it's very important for us to understand that Jesus' healings are more than miracles. Jesus' miracles were also signs, signs of who he was and signs of what he had come to accomplish in terms of his redemptive mission in this world. And so we're going to look at that today in just a minute. But I want to sort of go back, especially um, since it's been a while since we've been in Mark's gospel. I know last week we replayed the sermon from um, the, the passage just before this in chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. But one of the things we saw in that text was sort of a shift in Jesus' ministry. That he had gone from ministering within Israel, outside of the borders of Israel, in, in Tyre and Sidon, which was a, a Gentile country. As a matter of fact, we, we read in uh, 724, and from there he rose and went away 
to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and then he entered a house. Now, how long Jesus was in this country, we don't know. Some commentators think eight or nine months, which is a significant amount of time, considering the fact that Jesus' ministry was three years here upon this earth. That was a significant amount of time. But here Christ is ministering amongst these Gentiles. And even as he talked to the Syrophoenician woman who begged Jesus, please heal my daughter, if you look at Matthew's account from what we read in Mark 7, 24 through 30, you see that, that Matthew even makes the point where Jesus says to the woman, but I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Why should I give you what was meant for them? Of course, that didn't dissuade her. She continued to press and to ask Jesus for that miracle, which, which Christ did give to her and he healed her daughter. But now Jesus returns from Tyre and Sidon, but he doesn't come directly back into Israel. He actually makes a loop up and around in this pagan country and comes down around the side into the lake region of the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And you may recall from our study of Mark that that is the place where Jesus cast out the many demons out of this one man. As a matter of fact, he said his name was Legion because there were so many demons and they cast the, Jesus cast those demons out into the herd of pigs, which tells you it was a Gentile country because Jews don't eat pork. And so it was uh, in that Gentile region that he once again returned and that we have this man that is brought before Jesus who cannot hear or who cannot speak very well at least. And so this morning, what I want us to do is really just have two points to the sermon. First of all, I just want to look at the miracle of the healing of the deaf and the mute man. And then secondly, I want us to consider the significance of this sign of this miracle this morning. So first of all, the miracle of the healing of this man. Now, this miracle does not appear in any of the other Gospels. And so most likely, maybe Peter was an eyewitness to this and he told John Mark about it. And John Mark included it in, in his gospel. But just take for a moment, if you could, just picture the scene that's, that's taking place. Here's a man who's deaf. Kids, that means he can't hear. And almost completely dumb. That doesn't mean he's stupid. That means that he can't speak. Okay? And, and he's being hurried along by his friends to, to come to see this man called Jesus. And so next thing you know, this man finds himself with his friends... Uh, standing before Jesus in the midst of a crowd. Now, this man cannot hear anything, and his friends are speaking to Jesus. He can see that, that they're speaking to Jesus, and they're actually begging Jesus to touch this man and to heal him. Now, why touch and heal him? Well, Mark doesn't tell us why exactly. We do know, if you looked back earlier in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 5, that there were times when Jesus, when he did heal someone, he would touch them. And so maybe it was that these friends of this man had seen Jesus touch someone and heal them. And so they wanted him to, to do that. Now, needless to say, Jesus does not heal the man in the manner in which this man's friends prescribed. And, and as I was thinking about that this week, I thought, how often do we do the same thing? We come to Jesus in prayer and, and instead of just laying out our needs to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need this or I have this need. 
we want to also tell him how he needs to answer our prayers. Just like these men who say to Jesus, touch him and heal him. But how much better would it be simply to bring our needs to Jesus and let him determine how to act in a way that would uh, glorify and honor him. We as human beings are so prone to forms and structures and we can be dependent upon rituals and means and think that we have to do something a certain way in order to somehow get God to do what it is that we want. I remember in the days when I was traveling sort of in the circles of charismatic movement, there would be teachers who would be talking about healings and casting out demons and maybe things had not happened and they would go back to these texts and say, but Jesus spit or Jesus touched or Jesus, and they were like very careful to try to make sure that the form was exactly right so that God would have to, to do what they wanted. Oftentimes, not, that was not the case. God did not act in that way. How much better would it be rather than trying to come up with the right forms ourselves to get God to do what we want is just to recognize that he is the one, God is the one who hears our request and he answers them as he so chooses in a way that would glorify him. So what does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't touch the man in the way that, that these men talked about. The first thing that Jesus does is he takes him away from the crowd. Now, I want you to notice the compassion that Jesus has for this man. He doesn't put the man on display. He doesn't stand him up before the entire crowd and say, watch me, look at what I'm going to do. Instead, he pulls the man away and he gets him alone. And, and Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears. We see in verse 33. And then Jesus spits on his finger and he puts it in the man's mouth, in his tongue. And then Jesus looks up to heaven, he sighs deeply, and he says in Aramaic, be opened. Now, uh, this, this whole series of actions that Mark records for us may seem sort of strange, almost like some kind of ritualistic mumbo jumbo, but, but think about it from the man's perspective. Here's a man who cannot hear anything. He's drugged before this man, Jesus, and uh, Jesus is wanting to communicate with him. The man cannot hear anything. He doesn't know what's going on. And so Jesus pulls him away and he begins to communicate in a way that the man could understand. Almost sort of like a kind of sign language, like putting his fingers in his ears and pulling them out to show, you know, I'm going to remove the blockage from your hearing. And then he takes and spits on his finger and touches his tongue to show that I'm going to set you free so that you can, you can speak. And, and, of course, Jesus glances to heaven to show that it is God alone that is able to do this. You see, Jesus wanted him to understand, wanted this man to understand that this wasn't just magic that Jesus was doing, but it was God's grace that healed him. And so Jesus is, is, is trying to communicate to this man while putting his finger in the man's ears, in his mouth, and he sighs. It is really with just a word that Jesus speaks and the man can hear and he can speak. Almost like on the days of creation when God spoke and it happened. We read in verse 35, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Now, interestingly enough, as soon as Jesus healed the man and he could, he could clearly speak and he could praise the Lord Jesus for this great act of deliverance, at that very moment, Jesus tells the man in verse 36 to tell no one 
And of course, Jesus didn't want word about him to spread, even though he was very well known. He didn't want word to spread because he knew that it would uh, cause a reaction from his enemies, which would then lead him towards the cross. And so we read in verse 36 and 37, but the more he charged them, that is the more that Jesus charged this man and his friends, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now this man and his friends disobeyed Jesus but they had a good motive to do so because Jesus had done all things well. There's something quite eloquent in such a testimony about Jesus. Not only had Jesus healed the man, but the manner in which Jesus had healed him was extraordinary. Uh, Jesus did it very quietly. He did it modestly. And most importantly, he did it graciously. Uh, to this man. He didn't display, put him on display. He was very gracious. I was thinking about, we've just gotten done with the Christmas season and we've celebrated the incarnation and how Christ came as a man. He came as us. We could, we could relate to who Jesus was as he came and, and he spoke to us in a language that we could understand and gave us a message that would set us free. And in the same way, Jesus came to this man as he could understand quietly, modestly, and graciously uh, that he might heal him and he might set him free. Now, one detail about this miracle that I've just merely mentioned, but I really haven't made that big deal about, is, is found in verse 34. It says, in looking up to heaven, he, that is Jesus, sighed. I think John Calvin was right when he said, you know, what, what was the sigh? He said it was Jesus' expression of strong feeling and shows us the intensity of Jesus' love towards this man as his needy creation. In other words, you see the compassion that Jesus has for this man's misery. And I want you to see Jesus' compassion this morning not only towards this man, but for all of us who are his children. It's so easy for us whenever we think of God as, as being willing for God to take us down a very hard path. We know that God takes us through trials and through difficulties. I mean, when he does, he's, he's with us, but still, nonetheless, it's so easy for us to do that. But do we just as easily understand his compassion for us when we endure the fallenness of this world in which we live. Here we see Jesus' expression of strong feeling for this man's misery. And we need to be reminded of Christ's great compassion for our suffering in this world. He understands your suffering this morning, brothers and sisters whatever it might be. He understands and cares about the plight that you're going through. It may be a, a, a sickness. It may be an, a disease that you're struggling with. It may be financial difficulties that you are going through. It may be 
that you're single and you so wish that you could be married, but you find yourself in another year and, and you without a spouse. Whatever it may be that you are, are wrestling with, the Lord Jesus Christ, He understands. He is compassionate towards you. This morning I prayed in, in the prayer of illumination, that is the prayer before we preached the sermon, I prayed, I said, God, we bind ourselves to you today to your power to guide us, to your might to uphold us. See, there are times when God doesn't remove us from the circumstances that we are in, whatever they may be. And we don't always understand the reason why he doesn't do that. But one thing we can know for certain is because it is what is good for us. Because God is good. He loves us. We can be assured of, of his goodness. And, and he would only leave us there if it was better for us to be there than for those circumstances to be removed. And it's in those times that we must, uh, uh, that he allows us to stay in those difficult circumstances that we need to understand that he upholds us by his might. He doesn't leave us there alone. You may feel alone and you may feel like you are wrestling with things that are overwhelming you, but he is there with you. He is present with you and he is present with you by his almighty and his powerful uh, arm. He does not let you go, nor will he leave you. And as you think about that this morning, uh, we, we think of the, the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church at Rome. And he's speaking uh, to a church that is suffering persecution and, and great difficulty. And he talks to them about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not just some force. He's not just some power. He's a person. He is the, 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 the third person of, of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He, he, he understands what we go through. And Paul writes to the Romans, and he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You, you see that? You see Jesus sighs when he heals this man. And here Paul talks about these groanings of the Holy Spirit that are too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You see, what you're going through, sometimes you don't even know what to pray, but the Spirit of God does know what to pray. And He is praying for you and He is interceding on your behalf. And God the Father knows the mind of the Spirit and He hears that prayer. And He prays for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That God loves you. Jesus the Comforter sighs for this man with expressions of deep feelings. Likewise, the other Comforter, the Holy Spirit, groans for you and me in our weakness. Brothers and sisters, you are loved. You are loved. No matter what it is that you are going through this morning, God loves you. And He has given you His Spirit who intercedes for you. Well, we need to see that Jesus' miracle has a point. 
We've looked at the miracle. Now, what's the sign of the miracle? The, the, the miracles Jesus does designed to teach us about who Christ is and what he came to do. And this miracle is no different. This man was deaf and mute, as we read in verse 37. But also, we see in verse 32, it's described this way, that his speech, he had a speech impediment. The word speech impediment is magilalos in Greek, and it's only used a couple of places in the Bible. One is here in Mark's Gospel, and the other is in Isaiah 35. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 35, if you would. Actually, turn to Isaiah 34. Let's look at the context, if we could. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Mark is, is quoting from the Old Testament, and he, he doesn't do that this often because he's writing primarily to Gentiles. So when he does sort of make a reference back to the Old Testament, it should catch our attention. Isaiah 34, yeah. Uh, Isaiah 34 is about the judgment of God falling upon the world. And it, and it describes the world sort of in a post-apocalyptic wasteland where the cities are overgrown with thorns and thistles. They're under the curse of God. And, and look at... Uh, chapter 34, draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood, and all the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Of course, the animals that have been slain are, are the wicked. And then we read in verse 8, For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. Anyway, and it goes on and on and on. But it's just this awesome picture of the wrath that falls upon the nations. And especially the nations that oppose the Lord, and particularly, he mentions Edom. An awesome picture of the wrath of God that falls on the nations. And so Isaiah 34 is not good news as it speaks of the wrath of God to come. But then if you look in Isaiah 35, we see a very different picture. It's actually a very glorious picture, uh, a, a, a very glorious change that takes place. It says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. 
It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. You see, so we see in chapter 34, God's judgment on the pagan nations. But as God comes to his people, he comes to save them. Now, how will we know when this day comes? Look at verse 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You know, it's sort of like asking the question, how do you know in Narnia when the white witch begins to lose her power? And that's very simple. Spring begins to come. The snow begins to melt. Remember the witch... Uh, made it winter all the time, but never Christmas. But when Aslan came on the march and he came, you saw that spring was coming and there's nothing that she could do. The snow was beginning to melt. And likewise, it's very similar with what Isaiah is saying. When, how will you know when the Messiah is come, when these things will change? When you see someone come and open the mouth of the mute, the mogulos. He, he will open the ears of the deaf. Then you will know the Messiah has come. That God has come and his glory has been revealed. And God is about to save the world in his mercy. And so Mark includes this seemingly insignificant miracle. But we find that it's really not a meaningless miracle. But a glorious one that proclaims the coming of the Messiah of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even though Jesus takes this man... And he pulls him aside from the crowd and he gets with him one-on-one. He is declaring with a loud voice, Narnia, winter is over, spring is coming, the Messiah is come. But even yet, brothers and sisters, this miracle has a future prophetic aspect for us as well. For while Jesus, the Messiah, has come, and he did come in Mark's day, Uh, to heal this man one day soon he will come again as the king of kings to exercise his reign over all the powers of darkness we see Christ's authority even here upon this earth but we will see it more completely one day when he returns and by comparison with that day we are all spiritually deaf and only barely stammering in our praise to our Creator. Even this morning as we uh, come to worship the Lord, our worship is imperfect. Uh, We do not praise Him as we ought. There's times when we sing songs to Christ and maybe our minds wander. We don't hear the word as clearly as we ought, but that will not always be the case. The day is coming when the stammer will be the eloquent proclaimer of the Father's praise. One day we will stand in the presence of God forever, worshiping Him perfectly with no hindrance whatsoever. 
The deaf will hear the voice of Christ with crystal clarity. Now we hear the word of God as it is read or it is preached this morning. But one day we will be with him forever in heaven and we will hear the son of God person to person and we will worship him perfectly. And it will be on that day that we with all the saints will sing those great words of Charles Wesley. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Hear Him, ye deaf, His praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. May that be uh, our posture as we praise God for his wonderful mercy to us. Let us take just a moment this morning and, and bow our heads right where we're at. And let's just meditate upon this word that God has given to us this morning from his word. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for this glorious miracle that you have done to proclaim your coming and the promise of your coming again. Oh Lord, we look to be with you in glory forever. But Lord, we pray for those that may not know you this day. May they hear. Lord, may you speak to them this day. May, may, may the blockage in their spiritual ears be set free that they could hear the hope the forgiveness of sin that only comes through Jesus Christ. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.